Here we are. It's the 55-1 Podcast, and I am Wes Berdine. I'm on the phone with Alex Schieferdecker in Philadelphia. Hey, man. How are you? I am doing okay, given the uh, the circumstances. Uh, circumstances of soccer or, you know... No, the circumstances apart, of or? soccer. But I will say that Philadelphia weather has just been... This has been the, the worst summer of weather I can remember in a long time. And now the weather is not hot. It's not cold. It's just humid. It's like it started raining and all the rain just got suspended before it hit the ground. It's just like constant mist. It's been this way for a couple of days now. It's really been terrible. Yeah, we saw the sun once in the last month, so I, I, I don't really have any sympathy I'm, for it. I'm sure it was better than what yeah. we've had. It's been, <laughs> we had, the, we had uh, like the, the record, I think it was record-breaking rain in September. Uh, and it's just been miserable. Miserable. Well, that's been our um, uh, AccuWeather podcast, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. For <laughs> Hurricane Michael is approaching the Panhandle uh, it, of Florida. And... It, it's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. So uh, let me just ask this uh, question right up from, from uh, Michael Vraney. Why isn't Alex on every week? You know, trivia questions don't answer themselves. That's true. I just came from trivia night at, uh, at Blackheart. How'd and, it go? Uh, uh, it was good. It was good. I'm 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 still in the mode where like anytime we do an event, I'm like, who's gonna show up? Are we gonna like actually sell beer, et cetera? And so it's good. We've had two weeks of it and there's people there and I'm like I can start to like chill once I, I see that. So good. um yeah, yeah. So it's it's good and I like then because I wasn't on a team because I knew I was leaving early, I would like kinda go around and chat with some people and then be like uh, oh yeah, that's uh, there will be blood. Yeah, so I was just acting as a designated player. <laughs> yeah, I actually, see. that's not how that works. I was acting as a like a all time quarterback type thing. <laughs> all right, but um, anyway, it's good to have you finally back. We don't have Eric and Rodrigo here, um, but you know, at least you and I can get down to the brass tacks because really, <clears throat> this podcast we're going to start off with some little stuff here, but this is basically uh. Everything in the light of Chris Wright interview with Sam Stashkel Stage, and uh, and the five one drubbing and in Meg Philadelphia Ryan before that, right, right, yeah. But but Meg Ryan, we we talked about those, and it was like those comments. We could like be, oh, well, maybe he's just being, uh, you know, maybe yeah. this or that. No, no, this was kind of unequivocal. Yeah, so it got pretty worse. But we'll t- we'll talk about that. Um, uh, let me start off with the with the tapas. Uh, this story, I don't know if you've read it, but uh, it completely flew under the radar to me. Um, FC Cincinnati this summer tried to sign Fabian Johnson, U.S. men's national team player, for the USL team, obviously to bring him into uh, the into MLS, much like they did Fernando Adi. Um, <coughs> and um, MLS put the kibosh on it. They said, no, you can't do that. Why not? So I, I saw the headline. I did not read the article. So there's, I mean, there's at this point there there seems to be no real details out there. But this story, like, it seems like it completely went under uh, under the radar. Like I didn't see yeah. much about it on Twitter. Um, it, it's a it's a crazy story. It it's MLS has no right to tell them who they can sign. Uh, this summer. Um, well, what strikes me is that maybe they were t- they were trying to use some allocation money 
in some way. And MLS said something like, you don't have that yet. Like, you can't use that yet. I, I don't really understand. Or, Didn't or at MLS least previously kill, like, a Sasha Question transfer before he ended up in New York? Yeah, to, to LA Galaxy. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you, because, do you uh, remember why LA, that happened? Uh, if I remember correctly, that was because LA wanted to sign him on a short-term deal or something like that, and they... It, whatever the deal they wanted to do, uh, MLS wasn't cool with it. Yeah, I, I mean, we we know that MLS, within its own jurisdiction, plays weird uh, with its teams and doesn't allow them to do things. It's it's yet another, you know, it's the reason single entity should not, cannot exist. It's stupid. But yeah. this is this is weird. I, I think you're probably right in that Fabian, they tried to sign him. You know, they're not just trying to sign him to their USL team. Obviously, it's for next year for MLS, and they tried to use some MLS funds doing it. Had they maybe not tried to do that, then they could have gotten it away with it. And I can see USL teams getting... I mean, FC Cincinnati have clenched the USL shield with many games to go. I can see USL teams being a little bit... I mean, I would be furious if, if, like, I don't know the Cosmos or something were going up to MLS and signed a bunch of players using MLS funny money to compete in an NASL season. I think that would be, I yeah. mean, or I, if we, we would, we would yeah. be, you know, pitchforks and, and torches. So yeah. if, if it, if it had something to do with that, I can, I can, I guess I can understand why it happened, but it is weird that it, it will never not be weird that MLS sort of imposes itself in these variety of ways. And it's, you know, even if there was like a legitimate reason, like the kind maybe that I just described, yeah. it, it's just sort of this, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, a you know, a, a kind of position that MLS puts itself in with the way that it's yeah. structured. <laughs> yeah. So that's a weird, weird story. Um, U.S. Women's National Team. There's nothing weird about it. Uh, they're they are basically qualified for the World Cup, almost not quite. Um, they're almost they're out of their group. Certainly, they beat Mexico six nothing and then beat Panama five nothing. They play uh, Trinidad and Tobago on Wednesday at six thirty p.m. But uh, that should be a cakewalk. They re- they had nine different starters against Panama than they did against Mexico, um, and then that all leads up to. The, um, the basically the the final four, and they just need to win the semifinal game. If they lose the semifinal game, then they go into a uh, they or the other loser will go into a playoff against Argentina, I believe. <coughs> um, so the path looks very good for them. Uh, you know, at this this Wednesday at six thirty, we'll have the game on at, at Blackheart. Um, uh, and yeah, it's it was fun. I, I watched part of the Panama game, but I was mostly painting the bar, and so I missed. Uh, I, I kind of walked out and then came back like five minutes later, and they had scored five goals. So, but the Mexico game was, uh, it was just great to watch. It was just a drubbing. It was great. Well, if you want to talk about who's on track for qualification and 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 a drubbing, uh, just just moments before we finished, or before we started recording this, Canada was wrapping up a. 12 nil win over Cuba. So uh, I think wow. Canada are also going to qualify <laughs> for this. Yeah. yeah. Cuba okay. has previously lost to Costa Rica 8 nothing. So Cuba are now zero goals scored, 20 goals against. They should stop hitting or, or so they, they're going to go over blackjack. Yeah. 
Not, yeah. uh, not great. <laughs> Uh, and then the U.S. men's national team, they're in action against Columbia on Thursday, 6.30. And we're having a watch party for that uh, at, at the bar. Um, so people should come out for that. Um, that, I'm, you know, again, I always talk about on this podcast how I'm, I'm not particularly interested in friendlies. I am a little bit interested to see what, what happens here, uh, you know. Michael Bradley and these guys kind of uh, coming back in. Uh, you got Fafa Picot uh, brought in, and uh, I saw some people complaining that Fafa was brought in, but not Miguel. But uh, I, th- I think uh, I think <laughs> we, we like, got a little glimpse anymore, of, of why that might be this past weekend. I've mm-hmm. always been a big fan of Fafa from our NASL days. Um, I, I I just remember being so mad that no, uh, none of the. Uh, U.S. media were talking about this guy who was absolutely destroying the NASL and then got signed by, uh, was it Sparta Prague? Yeah, or? Sparta Prague, yeah. I think, and then went to Sao Paulo. Yeah. And so, anyway, I'm, 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 I like that guy a lot, and he Me showed too. quite a bit. The, the, his two goals yeah. against Minnesota were <clears throat> superb. One final bit of news before we get to that game. Um, the San Jose Earthquakes have hired a new coach. Oh yeah, and he's actually yeah. someone who made is is quite a splash. Matias Almeida. I don't follow Liga MX as much as I wish, but but Almeida is a former coach of Chivas Guadalajara, so obviously and Boca uh, Juniors before that, right? One of so a very highly uh, a coach who's been in some high places. Frankly, places much higher than the San Jose Earthquakes. Yeah, um, much so higher. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously, they, they made a, a pretty big gamble this year with hiring Michael Starre out of Sweden. He turned out to be completely clueless. Uh, but you have to think that Almeida is a big step up. Uh, and uh, and, and I, know, I know it's also rumored that Vancouver are uh, looking to hire uh, Mark Dos Santos. So I think that those, if, if that comes to pass, two... You know, obviously Almeida is a much bigger name, but I think two yeah. really good on paper coach signings um, heading into next season for for teams that are in Minnesota's in, kind of bracket right. of badness. Um, Almeida, uh, coach River Plate. Sorry, not Boca Juniors. Um, okay. yeah. But I think you're absolutely right, and they're they're in Minnesota's bracket of badness. Um, in our in our conference as well. Um, and you know San Jose have way bigger problems than just their coaching. Uh, yeah. Um, but if they're you know if a guy like Almeida, who I think could have gone to a much better club in MLS, um, I'm surprised that like Chicago, for example, didn't didn't. Get him. I mean, I'm kind of surprised you didn't go to Spain or something. Yeah. But but he you know that's a big move for San Jose. Uh, they've been a, a trash heap for a while um, and. If he's going there, then you have to assume that I usually assume that that he has some um, assurances that there's going to be money spent, that there's going yeah. to be uh, fixes, you know, that he's not going to be playing with uh, with Kenneth Scrubs. Um, whether that means that Jackson Ewell and Tommy Thompson will uh, continue to get overlooked, I don't know. Maybe but, he'll play them. <laughs> but your your point is is really important. The the crappy teams. Uh, Colorado accepted. The crappy teams in uh, the Western Conference are going to be better next year. And 
you know, we'll talk about this for the, literally the rest of the podcast, but <laughs> is Minnesota making the kind of changes that will allow them to keep pace with those teams getting better? Because we talked about uh, when Atlanta came into this league, Minnesota was playing by the old rules and Atlanta rewrote the rules. Minnesota had a decent first season, but everyone else is getting better. And Minnesota was playing by kind of, oh, three years ago, this would have been all right. You can build on that. You know, mm-hmm. they can do what Portland did, right? But that's, it's not possible anymore. Seattle are, are discovering that as well. They are playing by the rules that they rewrote and now they have to adjust. So um, I'm. Man, I'm jealous of uh, of uh, of San Jose, um, and yeah, so. I don't think I'm going far enough to say I'm jealous of San Jose, but uh, it is a good hire, and it is you know for MLS it's been this very steady progression, right? First first step was signing these DPs from Europe, you know, people like Beckham, and then and then ultimately players who are a little closer to their primes, even if they were less well known. And and now, I mean, it, it just seems like the next step in the league has been attracting really good coaching talent. And and obviously, you know, Tata Martino and Patrick Vieira, uh, or you know, were two two names that were quite a bit higher than than even Almeida, you know, or, or the likes of Bob Bradley. But um, I, I think that the the level of coaching in the league is really increasing. Pretty rapidly, um, you know. I remember a couple of years ago there was this trend; everyone was hiring sort of recently retired players like Ben Olsen, Jim Curtin, you know, Mike Petke, etc. Um, yeah. Now that that really wouldn't fly um, because the you have these you have these really experienced coaches from better leagues who are coming yeah. to MLS, and and that's really exciting. You know, it's not just dregs like Owen Coyle; it's it's you know, people who've had success in, in other countries. And it's just, it's, it's another, it's more proof of the growth of the league. Yeah. Well, let's take a break because we got lots of coaching talk and I don't want to expend it all in this uh, opening segment. But uh, here's some big quarters. Back here on the 55-1 podcast, Wes and Alex are here to talk about the sadness. Uh, Minnesota 1, Philadelphia 5. Um, you, Alex, were actually, because you live in Philadelphia, you were at this game, so how was it? Oh, uh, it, it was a tough one. Um, I think I should first come clean. I, I, am, I am clearly responsible for a lot of these, these defeats. Uh, I have actually never seen the Loons win in MLS now. Um, I've seen seen them lose away in New England, away in New York City, away in Red Bulls, away at DC, and now away at Philadelphia. I have also you didn't see the one home in- game I attended yeah. was also a loss. That was last year at home against the Crew. So yeah. uh, I'm 0 for six now. Uh, for- for Minnesota and MLS, it's uh, I'm I'm considering uh, just uh, watching from home now in the future because uh, it's not working out. Yeah, well, the good thing is that your record uh, watching from home is uh, we are uh, unbeatable or un, un uh, or sorry, 
we are undefeated, right? When you watch from home? Well, I watch the away games from home too. Those have been so yeah, successful. But exactly. <laughs> yeah. the, so, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, w- within the, the <clears throat> first half, we were 4 0 down. Um, uh, what, what did that look like in person? Because I'll tell you what it looked like uh, when I was at Blackheart. And uh, um, someone someone made a comment to me about, like, oh, man, I'm glad I didn't watch it. And I was like, oh, watch it there. And I was like, no, watching watching it with people is the only thing that makes me survive. Like, being able to heckle and yell Heath out or, <laughs> like... Well, so that bitch that's in, in that's that's like the only way I survive it. But so at so at Talon Energy Stadium, the the Union Stadium, um, they they give the away fans um, the uh, the area without the bridge view. Basically, you have the the bridge mm-hmm. at your back, um, and the funny thing is that that that's directly next to the home supporters. Right. Um, but it's also directly next to the box that they must give the. The um, the visiting team is a complimentary box, and uh, and so we were sitting, we were standing uh, just below basically uh, the Minnesota United box, which appeared to be occupied by Chris Wright and Chris Wright alone. I, I didn't see anyone else in it the entire time, um, and I, I know that uh, some people met him uh, before the game, uh, and uh, and and uh, but as the game sort of descended uh there were a couple um there were a couple uh sarcastic <laughs> chants uh that were definitely intended for his ears uh including a chant of three-year plan uh and, and he actually and and while that chant was going on he um he, he went back inside the box and we never we didn't see him again <laughs> um the downside of this of this seating arrangement was that uh, that we were opposite basically all of the goals that were scored, uh, all but one, um, and so we, it wasn't quite easy to find out exactly who was to blame on every single goal, uh, but it was just bad because it, you know, when you're when you're far away from where the goals are scored, you don't necessarily see the ball going into the net first you see the, the fans reacting first. And when yeah. they're reacting for goals that are against your team, it's a real punch in the stomach because you're like, oh, yeah. my God. You know, you see everyone get really excited. And for you, it's just this sinking pit in your, in your stomach where you're just like, another one? you got to be kidding me. Like, it, it just, it was, it was painful. It was really, you know, we... we 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 had we and I and the supporters who were there, you know, took a lot of it with good humor because listen, we know we're bad. Um, but it was just stupid. It was it was it was worse than we were expecting. I think that was definitely clear. Well, it certainly was our worst loss of the year, and so um, didn't expect that against Philadelphia Union. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it basically, I. I you know, I've gone back through and tried to figure out who's to blame for things. Um, maybe we'll just talk about the lineup first, which is that you know you had a, a pretty, pretty strong lineup out there. You had the um, the double Brazilian back. You had Calvo on the left. You had uh, Jerry on the right. Um, obviously, we're missing Romario, and so Schuler was doing that weird thing where he plays kind of as a left midfielder, but kind of as a tucked in uh, third central midfielder. Um, yeah. you had a strong team out there, uh, and a defensive-minded team in theory. Yeah. Uh, in theory, yeah. 
Uh, but in the eighth minute, it's just a long ball, just blo- you know, just like blasted up there, and it falls. Boxall is like uh, breathed upon by Corey Burke. Yeah, we we had a pretty and, clear view of that actually. That and, and it was so not a foul. It's it's like it's hard to emphasize how much that was not a foul. Like Burke had his ground, Boxall did not have his ground. Yeah, and Boxall just fell over. Yeah, and then Bobby should have saved the ball, and so one one up. And then you know, ten minutes later, Keegan Rosenberry's out on the the right wing. Um, no one, not Schuler, not Calvo, is anywhere near him. He puts a cross in, and Boxall, uh, and you know, Bedoya beats Boxall or no, not Boxall, but, but Coleman. Coleman. Yeah, yeah, two. He beats him to the the near post, and uh, um, two very different kinds of goals, <laughs> and um, two. You know, just just bad defense. You know, um, uh, I think I think the first one is more a, a bigger problem because, as we saw later, um, I'm trying to f- remember which one it was. Um, but, oh yeah, the the next goal five minutes later, it, it's just like the defense, the midfield, nothing was there. It was you said defensive minded lineup, but you know, and then kind of backtrack that obviously because there was no. There was no t- like organization to the team. There was, the ball was simply moved through their lines. It could have been seven nothing in the first half, and uh, it that, there was no defense being played. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough to watch, and it was also. I mean, it was it was again clear just from our vantage point that the goals were, you know, I think the first and the third were especially savable from Bobby, and. You know, I I was not high on Bobby to start the year. Um, I was glad Lampson started those early couple games. He did not play as well as I hoped or expected him to, and, and so Bobby took over and was just fantastic for a couple months. But we, we should recognize that Bobby has not had a good second half of the season. He's not been good, basically, <laughs> since the first two to three months of the year. Uh, and this was one of his worst performances. That first goal should be saved. It, sh- it should have been saved, you know, nine, 9.5 times out of 10. Um, and I know that that sort of low bouncing shot is really tough for goalkeepers. Um, but that's, that's a save a professional goalkeeper needs to make. And, and um, the third goal was one that he also got, you know, you know part of his body on. But just not. It wasn't strong enough to to keep it out. And it, I mean, the, you know, it, and we ask a lot of him because we concede so many shots. But uh, he has in the past been up to the challenge. And something about you know this 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 game, he was not. Yeah, I, I would say I, there's been very few games this year <clears throat> where I thought he contributed to us being bad. This game. He absolutely did. Um, I, I'm a little more positive about him than you, but um, but yeah, certainly the, there were a couple goals here where it was just it was bad goalkeeping, um, and it wasn't just the defense kind of screwed him. It was it was a combination. Well, like some um, of the some of the some of these shots, like, let's say let's take that first goal again, where okay, Boxel goes down softly, but Coleman gets in between Corey Burke and the goal and is basically, you know, sort of slowed his momentum. And, 
Burke didn't have a lot of space, you know. He 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 did get a shot past Coleman, but you can't really fault Coleman there for for how he played that because he's one on one. It's emergency defending. He's trying to slow the play down, and and take away anything easy. And you know, he, Burke hit a shot that was again saveable. So. You know, so the, everyone, it's not like everyone was perfect on these, you know, or one player or another was perfect on these goals, but I mean, these goals were team efforts, but again, it's, it's, yeah, everything sort of went wrong in this first half. Um, the, the third and fourth goals were both from Fafa Picot, uh, who have already uh, praised, uh, the, the, the third one in particular was just sli- sliced through the Minnesota defense. Uh, in midfield, and Fafa gets a great goal. Um, he, he kind of gets him. He cu- cuts in between Coleman and Tison and cuts it back for a great goal. Um, and then the the fourth goal, Fafa's out on the wing, and he like eats a goddamn sandwich while he's like playing with the ball. And then Jerry is like, "Oh, what kind of sandwich is that?" And he's like. It's a fucking goal sandwich, dude, and because he just Jerry like puts no pressure on him, and Fafa just curls it around him, and it was also another great goal. But just ah, the amount of times there's no pressure from this team. Well, just like the first goal, this this is this is one where you look at the player who was, you know, sort of marking the man with a ball, and you want more from him. But at the same time, when Fafa got the ball. To, to um, you know, out wide or out sort of wide on, on the box to start that uh, the assist ball. I don't know what I'm trying to say, right, but right. when he gets the ball, he's wide open. I mean, the entire Minnesota yeah. defense because there was some yeah. slip between Maxi and and someone else. I think I made Maxi and Francisco, something like that. And the whole defense got pulled out of sorts. And yes. so, and so d- when when. Jerry goes up to mark him. He really doesn't have an idea how much support he has behind him, if he has any at all. So, That's so true. kind yeah. of like Coleman on that first goal, he is. He, he, I'm not sure he feels that he has the luxury, and, and also given that he's basically you know in such a dangerous position, I'm not sure he feels he has the luxury to really commit and pressure the ball because the moment he gets beat, maybe he's you know just completely in on goal. Yeah, that, that that's a really good point because it's at that point, organization as the defense as a whole that really can solve that yeah. issue. At that point, Jerry was covering for Boxall, who was in the midfield, and so Jerry was kind of playing at that center back point. So uh, and then kind of coming out. So that that is a good point. Um, uh, Just better organization yeah. can yeah. can help solve that issue. You know, obviously you can question the emergency defending that was done, but. If we can get into less positions where we need that emergency defending in the first place, that would be preferable. <laughs> yeah. Um, so ends ends the first half for nothing. You went and got a, uh, um, a, a dollar dog or something like that, and came back. And then uh, Quintero decides to play soccer. It's a thing that that you can do when you're playing against another team. And pulls a goal out of nowhere from nothing, uh, kind of an assist from uh, the goalkeeping, but um, and a really good, a really good actual assist from Angelo. Yeah, that's just, that, that, that as well. Did did the kind of hold up play that we need to see a lot more from him, but but he does have that to offer. The yeah, thing about Quintero, uh, you can sometimes tell um, 
you know, just early in the game, it was he was taking people on and not winning. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, it's one of those games where he's just not effective because he just seems sometimes some games he really seems to have a spark where he can get around people uh, pretty you know basically at will. And this game he was getting blocked on the dribble every single time. And yeah. this goal was the base. I think the only time in the game where he was successfully able to basically to dribble around one or two people. Um, yeah. And he broke in. He had that chance. You know, he, he played it into Angela, who just sort of passed it along. And then he took a shot and obviously got a big assist from uh, uh, the new DJ Lettuce Hands, Andre Blake. Yeah. Uh, then if there was any thought of a, of, a, of a comeback, then it was put to bed by um, El Sino, who in the 79th minute cuts in from the wing, uh, like many times we've seen against this team this this season, uh, and Harrison Heath is kind of covering him, and then Harrison Heath basically just like stops running and like pulls out his fucking business cards, and he's like, "That's bone," and the lettering is something called Cillian Rail. It, yeah. Anyway, so it, just useless uh, midfield pressure. Yeah, he got beaten like uh, comically easily. And yep. then, and then it was a brilliant shot. I mean, you know, it was just it, again. It was it was one of those nights where the the loons were not helping themselves, but also Fafa's shot, Il Senior's shot. Those were really incredible shots. Yeah, but I mean, you can play a game where you 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 deny people the opportunity for those shots. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were great goals, but they were great goals allowed by really. Crappy uh, tactics no. and organization and you're playing. Right. You, you, you're right, and I would, and if and if we had bad luck, I would have poured it all into this game, um, because, because uh, you know, let's just get it all out, I guess, uh, in in one match. Um, yeah. So the team is now out of the playoffs. I mean, they were many moons ago, but uh, now officially out of the playoffs. They play at home this weekend against Colorado uh, afternoon game in, uh, on Saturday. Um, they actually have, you know, uh, Colorado, LA Galaxy, and then Columbus Crew, right? Those are the three, um, uh, three remaining games. And, uh, I mean, Colorado, I assume this is going to be a win. LA Galaxy, who knows what, what will be going, but we could get a win there. It could be and, six points. I mean, it really yeah, should be Yeah, and all points. of it will um, paper over the fact that this is, you know, this 5-1 was extremely telling. You know, there's no excuses for this team. As we said, this was a decent lineup. I like those players out there. Um, I think that they're good, and they were terrible. Uh, so how do we reconcile those two, two facts? <clears throat> Eight to nine very, very, very good players. Yeah. You know, um, I, guess, I guess we'll just sort of tee off from here, but Adam Jarvie made a good point, I thought, on Twitter. Um, he, he said basically that, you know, this is, this is the, the players are the same. I mean, this was the, the same uh, roster that we had uh, starting for us two weeks ago. Right. Um, in in the home win uh, against Portland, I think. Right. Um, and so you know this is not. These are the the players are the same whether it's home or away. You know the roster is not changing, but it's something is changing because the team looks decent enough at home and looks awful away. And we can talk about the turf. We can talk about you know, just the normal 
intrinsic advantages of home field and sleeping in your own bed and all that kind of stuff. But uh, to me, as as it was to Adam, there's that's a tell of, of something with the coaching because you shouldn't we shouldn't be playing these same players and achieving such disparate results. I mean, if this team is a team that is good enough to have one of the league's best records at home, uh, why is it that this team cannot win away? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that is the uh, the mystery that apparently cannot ever be solved. Um, I think we've got a lot of Twitter questions on the coaching, and so maybe let's take another break and we'll come back and we'll talk about that Chris Wright article um, because that's basically what's on everyone's mind. Back on the 55-1 podcast, here we are. It's time to talk Chris Wright. Um, we don't talk too much about him on this podcast. Well, what's a he bummer gave- with Chris Wright is that he, when he was when he was hired, he, everyone was really excited because obviously he is someone who understands soccer, but also has this pro sports experience with the Wolves, and you know it seemed like a, a fantastic <coughs> hire and and someone who has done. As far as I can tell, basically nothing wrong since since taking over, and then with with one and then two articles, managed to put himself at the center of this firestorm, you know, among the fan base and like burn a lot of goodwill and just really a, a absolutely baffling move by him. Yeah. Well, the first the first Meg Ryan comments that he made to her were. We're pretty milk toast, you know, kind of stuff that we would expect. You know, we have we have a lot of confidence. We think that we have some great pieces. I mean, literally, it was copy paste from the end of last season, right? We've got eight to nine great players that we think we can build around. Right. Blah, well, blah, that's, blah. that's a little problematic because uh, one year later, if we're still saying the same things, but but keep yeah. going. And then uh, and then you know we I give them passing grades. You know you know we we obviously want to be better, but you know they've they and then the same excuses. And even it was in Sam's or Meg's article, he was like, oh, you know, we can't have excuses next year. It's like this in the the past two years has been all about excuses. Last year it was all about, oh, well, oh, the lead up. We couldn't put put together a team in the amount of time frame that um, we arbitrarily put upon ourselves. And then then it was. We had a whole preseason with Vadim Demidov, but who could possibly have told that he was a human sieve in defense, you know? Yeah. And then, like, you know, oh well, we had X, Y, and Z. We had, you know, we were forced to uh, to make a player we had never met before our, our captain, and then you know, and then this year it's like, oh, Ethan Finley, who obviously was going to be the person to win this MLS Cup, he's injured. Right. You know, just just like BS that is just like every other team. You know, look at New York City. And and how many players there? Jesus Medina, um, how many players have they been missing from injuries? Like everyone's got injured players. Yeah, I mean and, Portland literally doesn't win when Diego Chara is off the field, and yet somehow they're managing to make the playoffs. Yeah, <clears throat> and so it just just that that kind of stuff. And then Sam Stashko, uh did a follow up interview, and uh, I I had been chatting with him before uh, this interview and I was like, oh, well, I'm 
really curious to hear what he says about, you know, these comments, you know, and Sam does the, the, this interview and the, you know, right basically doubles down and says they are going to be back next year, Manny and Heath. Um, and, uh, they, you know, uh, they have our full faith, et cetera. Um, uh, it's, you know, when Adrian Heath is saying all of these players, he comes out after this game, he says, all these players, they don't, they don't look like they're fighting for their jobs, etc. Well, the only one out there who's got an assurance of his job is Adrian frickin' Heath, and he's been terrible. <laughs> Not terrible. Sorry. Excessively mediocre. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> well, so, I mean... <clears throat> You know, I, Chris Wright didn't mean it this way, but when you say the words passing grade, you you are meaning everything from like an A to a D, you know. So I, I think that we could say, uh, yeah, you know, maybe you can grade Adrian Heath after the season and you say, okay, well, he, you know, it was a C minus or something. I guess that's a passing grade, but uh, it's not the kind of passing grade that I want my team to be earning. Um, no, it, there's an amazing level of settling uh, for your like, yeah, settling that that is that that I think rankles a lot of people. I think that's why this these two interviews um, upset people, upset me, because um, yeah. it was just amount of like, really, you think this is good enough? You think that like the fact that we have three more games. And if we let in, I think, seven more goals, we've let in the, you know, we've tied the record-breaking most goals allowed. Well, and let's, let's get at that, because, the, the, because one of the mantras from the team, including Adrian, Adrian Heath after this game, has been that the, the team has improved, you know. And, and that was something that I bought into at the beginning of the season, because I, I, I looked at the way they were playing, and I thought, this looks more cohesive, this looks... You know, uh, this looks more sophisticated than what than what I saw from the team last year, and and it it has fallen apart over the course of this year, um, and 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 the numbers are abysmal. I mean, last year, and I make this, I come to this back to this point a lot, but last year, when it was convenient, we heard a lot of times this argument that okay, you know, yeah, we know the the three Vadim Demidov games were were terrible, but. Uh, you know, we moved past that. We corrected the issue, and we were, you know, almost a playoff team. If you just if you just forget about those three games, and and let's you know, if we take that that excuse now at face value, well, the Loons have played 31 games this season, and there were 31 non-Vadim Demidov games last year. They're equal on points, 36 points in both 31 game spans. And we have scored three more goals this season, 46 goals to 43 goals. But we've allowed nine more goals, 63 goals in 31 games this season versus 54 goals in the 31 non-Vadim Demidov games last season. That's astounding. With Yeah. So, you know, like, A, we knew that defense was a big issue going into this season, B, it was a huge point of emphasis on the preseason. Francisco Calvo, Michael Boxhall were installed as the, the starting defenders from the word go. And, you know, it took forever for that. To, it took the World Cup for that to change. And, you know, for, for this 
defensive record to to be to be worse. This there, unlike last year, there is not this built-in excuse for that defensive record to be so bad. And it's only the fact that Orlando look on track to shatter our record of last year that nobody is is talking really about how awful our defense is again. And and that's how can there be excuses for that? And how can how can how can anyone from whether it's Adrian Heath or Chris Wright or or, or Bill McGuire look at that record and say there's progress being made? It's the, the numbers do not show that there's progress being made. Our differential in those games is worse. Yeah. So Vadim Demidov did not die for this. It to me it is you know losing is one thing. Uh, losing happens all the time. It's the there's no other word for it than than, than gaslighting. It's this sort of oh we're we've improved and just sort of I don't know a, a hope that if that gets repeated enough that it'll become true. But there's not evidence for it, and it's frustrating because the, the altern- alternately the team could come out and say, listen, you know we. We know that this is not good enough. Uh, we did not make the kind of progress we hoped to this year. Uh, but we've learned from our mistakes. You know, we think that this, we're going to keep the same technical staff in place because we think that this technical staff really understands these players well and has learned these, mis- you know, learned from their errors really well. And, and here's what we're going to do in the offseason. We're going to, go out and spend big money on this position. We're going to, you know, try to get faster or maybe we're trying to get more technical or, or strong. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't care what the solution is. But what you hear from the, the club is just, oh, we think we're on the right track. And that's so patently false that, we, you know, what can, what can we, what can people, how can people even respond to that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, your your point is absolutely right about gaslighting fans, and I, I think that you know I've said this many times that the team takes its fans for granted. Uh, you know, you know, it's extremely telling that we're two years into uh, into MLS, and the number one uh, sales pitch is the fans. Right, the number one most marketable face are the fans, and the voice is the fans. Yeah, and they um, traded away the other most marketable face. Exactly. And uh, I, I think that they don't give a shit. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that because I do think that they do, but I, I think that there's people in there who don't give a shit, and they think, oh, we'll just show them wrong. And they haven't yet. We've not been proven right. wrong. Well, this, this um, preseason, how often did we hear, like, oh, people are underrating us, you know, just wait and see, you know. And, and I get that that part of that is just sort of, you know, the mentality you need to have to to work in pro sports, but you were wrong. <laughs> right. You didn't show anybody. Yeah. I, I mean, so, so let's actually get to the Twitter questions here. Um, Dustin Fetty says, so if Heath were out, who do you want in and who's realistically an option? We've talked about this before, but I'm, I'm curious to hear from you. Uh, who, who's, who's on that list? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I love Mark Dos Santos. I, I like, uh, Robin Frazier, um, uh, to me, 
to, to me, the, the, the name, I mean, we can, we can talk all about names. To me, it, the qualities I want in the coach are more important. And I want a coach who is two things. I want a coach who is willing to play young players. And I want a coach who is more dogmatic about the style of play they want. I mean, we have ping-ponged between formation and formation. And we've tried to, you know, we've played possession style and we've tried to play counterattacking style. And then now we, we, we just signed a forward basically specifically for his role to just be a lump that we just, you know, huck the ball up to and, and hope he comes down with it. It's almost like caveman style soccer imaginable. And I don't, I don't, you know, I'm almost agnostic about what style we play. I think that there are a lot of different attractive ways to play soccer, but I want a coach who is going to be willing in the way that like, let's say Patrick Vieira was with his NYCFC teams playing out of the back. And they took some real bad goals because of, he was so dogmatic about that's the way they were going to play. But ultimately it made a better team. And I want a coach who is similarly determined to impose a style on the team. And I want a coach who, who is going to bring up young players to, to play that style. I think one of the, the biggest problems, uh, you know, I, 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 again, I've talked about the, the Mark Dos Santos is the Greg Berhalters, the, uh, Guillermo, uh, Scalotos. Um, one of the problems with the team is that you look at, uh, teams like Philadelphia, right? And they've got, uh, Austin Trussey, uh, they've got McKenzie out there. They've got these young players that they can bring through. Philadelphia is definitely going to have a better stock of players around um, than Minnesota is going to, young youth players. Um, we don't have uh, an academy that's producing these players. Um, and we're not even going into getting young players. We have basically Wyatt Olmsberg and Mason Toy. Those are our young players. You know, I guess Dinladi still technically counts as a young player. Well, Augsburg um, is 23, actually, again, because he's right. a senior. So so he's actually of similar okay. age to Colin Martin and Maxi and a couple other guys. Right, great. So we've got Mason Toy, um, <laughs> who, who, like, uh, you know, jury's still out on, has not been super impressive, but whatever. Um, he's like 19, right? So. so if we're not bringing in these young players, if we're not, if there's no actual future we're, we're seeing on this team, then what the plan that this team has created is, well, what we're going to do is we are going to go find rough gems around the world market. And I don't know if you know this about the world market, but there's more leagues than just MLS, right? <laughs> and so and a lot of, go a lot of find, scouts who are better paid and have a lot more time than, than ours. Right. And so we're, we're like going through rough, you know, basically like, uh, Showing up uh, on a Sunday evening at a garage sale and being like, "All right, what are we going to find now? Let's let's look through these records here. Ooh, we've got a, a, a Fleetwood Max uh, rumors because no one's ever seen that at a at a garage sale before. Um, it's just like uh, you know, Ace of Base B sides. Actually, that would be all right. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it just like." The, the 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 way that this team and, and certainly it has worked. I think there's decent players that we've gotten out um, from it, but but really we think that's going to be our way to success and not like um, 
finding some avenue for uh, building youth into our team or uh, or finding MLS players out there who are good. <coughs> that's that's kind of what drives me crazy because like what what do we look at this team? We look at we have a obvious distinct divide between these kind of uh, non English speaking uh, rough gems that we're pulling out. Uh, we've got some uh, veteran MLS players. Uh, we've got a couple young guys who are not getting time. And it's just it, there's how are we building cohesion with this team? It it, so. it it comes back to this question that I've asked repeatedly, and in fact, I I look I look back and I wrote almost an identical article to the one that I that I published on Monday, basically asking like what I wrote that back in August of last year, and it basically was asking like what, what is the plan? Like I still don't yeah. I still don't understand what type of team we're trying to play. I still don't understand what our player acquisition strategy is besides. <laughs> Like, you know, just sort of going fishing. I mean, I just, it is, it is baffling to me that I still cannot understand what, what we're going for. And, and so, I mean, to come back to the question, what, you know, what, what we, I want a coach who, who gives me some clarity about that. You know, I mean, wasn't Adrian Heath, I mean, not to pick on Jamie Watson, but I remember him, you know, go, speaking rhapsodically about Adrian Heath's so-called system when he was hired. I haven't seen a hint of that. I don't know what on earth that was about, but I've yet to see whatever that was supposed to be. And and so I'm I'm interested in a coach who's going to be more effective about implementing their philosophy. I want a new drug, one that knows how to coach. Um, Carl Bates says this two-part question. If the club is unwilling to make a change at manager, is there an argument that they should at least pull in Alex Ferguson and freshen up the rest of the coaching staff, maybe replace Mark Watson with someone who knows how to organize a defense? <coughs> then he asks the same about the, the front logic or front uh, office logic and says out with complacency. Um, certainly, I don't think the ownership has been ownership, Chris Wright, et cetera, has been tough enough on these guys. Um, and I know that like behind the scenes that probably is happening, but um, let's face it. This team is not good enough. Um, it, and without a miracle, they are not making the playoffs next year. And uh, you know, the idea that they can magically somehow fix their midfield and defense um, for next year is is just crazy, and so, you know, whether I I don't know specifics about Mark Watson or Ian or anyone. I don't want. I again, I I always have trouble advocating for someone to lose their job, except for Adrian Heath, which I you know two months ago I distinctly made that break in my life because the buck stops at him. Yeah, but like these guys, I don't know, and I don't know what Mark is. I know what Mark at one point was uh, tasked with the defense last year. Um, I don't know what these guys are doing, uh, but I do. I don't think that's wrong. If you think that Adrian's uh, still your guy, going in and saying like, "Look, you need to bring. We need to bring in someone else like Dominic Kinnear. You know, we need someone else who who knows how to tell someone to stand their effing ground." Uh, I don't. Know. I, I don't. I don't think that this is. I don't think that soccer works like football, where you have you know. Your offense is struggling. You you fire the offensive well, coordinator and get someone else in. <laughs> uh, ultimately, in my mind, 
the buck stops with Adrian Heath for the yeah. in terms of how the team is prepared to play on the field. In, in with the roster, the buck stops at Manny. But in terms of how the team is prepared to play on the field, how the defense is organized, what the tactics are, that's the responsibility of the head coach. And and if he wants to fire his assistant coaches because he doesn't think they're doing a good job, that is his prerogative. But okay. in ter- if you are Chris Wright or Manny or Bill McGuire and you're looking at, well, if you're Bill McGuire, don't touch it, please. Hire people to touch it. But if you're Chris Wright and you're, you're figuring out what to do with the coaching personnel, you, it's, uh, to me, your, your role is to fire the head coach or not. Your role is not to tinker with the, his assistants, his or her assistants. All right, Brent Witt says, is it possible that one of the reasons Minnesota United goals against is high this year um, because of VAR and additional penalties, or is my selective memory that makes me feel like VAR adds goals and doesn't overturn many? I don't think so. I think we're just bad. Okay. Um, final question then, Colin O'Donnell. I'm not sure I understand this question, but he says, is there anything specific that Minnesota are good at that isn't hampered by things they're bad at? I think that Minnesota have really done well, and you can speak to this better than I can, but off the field. I mean, I, from every sense I get watching the broadcasts and every time I look at the stadium webcam, I, like I'm really excited about the atmosphere in the stadiums. I'm, I'm excited about the crowds that they're pulling. I, I'm sure they get, gave away a lot of tickets for this 50K to Midway. It is nonetheless impressive. Um, because I know that Sean Sittick does not like to give away tickets. So uh, I, I think it is impressive what they are doing in terms of building their reputation as a real legitimate professional sports franchise in a very, very crowded and tough market. So I, I think that Colin was probably asking about on-the-field stuff, but I don't have a lot of good things to say about that. But off the field, I think they're doing great, and I really... I hope that that great work is not jeopardized by this stubborn approach to the product on the field. Because it will yeah. be eventually. I mean, or, or Orlando, for instance, who is my absolute nightmare that we end up like Orlando. They, from what I've heard, are really struggling to sell season tickets for next season. And it's no surprise why. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let's call it there. Uh, Alex, thank you. Uh, it's good to be back on the podcast with you. And... Uh, you know, good luck at trivia. Um, uh, everyone else, thanks for thanks for listening.